sensing a growing distance between you and your child? Does your child struggle with motivation or behavior issues, social media, or worldly influences? We welcome to the conversation a man who's been called the adolescent whisperer by parents and ministry leaders. And this morning, we've got to glean from his wisdom. Jeff Schott is the author of The One Rule Home, Destroy the World's Influence in Your Kid's Life. He is the founder of Revive Family and One Rule Home. And good morning, Jeff. Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Yeah, it sure is to have you with us, Jeff. All right, so you've talked to a few kids over your time, <laughs> and you've listened to them. What are they saying to us? What's going on? I mean, what blew me away was in interacting with over 3,000 kids personally as a father because my, my oldest child was struggling and would blame the sun, the dog, the wind, the moon to not be wrong. <laughs> And so I went out and started talking to these kids, and as I listened to them, at first, at first I wanted to argue because they were saying the way we were approaching them was actually causing them to be hurt and to distance from us and to get involved in the social media. Hmm. And, of course, I wanted to argue as a parent. You know, the world's the problem. They're, that's what's taking the kids away. But what struck me as I kept hearing it and I started studying the Word and even went back to my own kids and said, do you see me? the way these other kids see their parents and my own kids said, basically, heck yeah, Dad. <laughs> um, I, you know, then I'm like, holy cow, I was slapped in the face by the Holy Spirit because mm. I realized I looked nothing like Jesus to my own kids. Wow. Mm. And that was the part that where change started to happen in me, and I started to listen to these kids. And the truth is Jesus did not approach the failure of the disciples the way we've been trained to approach the failure in our kids' lives. And 5,000 chased Jesus around the lake when he was trying to get away. And today what I see is 5,000 kids running the opposite way around the lake trying to get away from their parents. Hmm. And they are. And we're losing 70, 80 percent of our kids from the faith. And that's not a sustainable model, uh, and it's certainly not going to reach the country. Yeah. So, Jeff, then how would Jesus parent? What would look differently if, if Jesus was parenting? You know, when you look at Jesus and and the love he had and the way he handled the failures, whether it be of the disciples or the woman at the well or the adulterous woman, what you see is a great deal of empathy and compassion that caused them to walk in the light, to get honest with their failure. And then he would draw them, once they recognized that, to a point of decision. And he left that decision in their hands because God doesn't control us, right? He he gave us free will, but by getting them to walk in the light, they were experiencing the Holy Spirit's conviction. And that's one of the things that we've missed in parenting is how do you involve the Holy Spirit? Hmm. I discovered pretty quickly once I started seeking the Spirit's involvement in the way I parented that the Spirit was convicting my kids, often way more effectively than me. But I had them so focused on my expectations and so focused on keeping me from getting upset or lectures or consequences, that they weren't listening to the Spirit. And once that became part of the equation, and I realized the Spirit was convicting and leading and guiding my kids' hearts, I just had to ask them questions and get them to, to process and think through and listen for that Spirit. Things changed in our family and our dynamic in such positive ways. Hmm. And one of the things that parents are really struggling with is those repeated behavior patterns that we've lectured, we've gotten upset, we may have used consequences, and it's not changing. One of the reasons for that is psychology has proven 
that only 5% of our thoughts and emotions are conscious, which means 95% aren't conscious. Mm. And that's true with our kids. And the way we've been trained to parent is to target that the, the green part of the weed we can see and to go after that. And when it doesn't change, we keep going after it. We get frustrated. Our kids get frustrated. There's conflict. They distance from us emotionally and attach to other things like social media, like friends. And we've lost our influence without even realizing it when the problem is our kids don't know what's going on either from talking to them. They're frustrated with themselves. They're often getting negative about themselves because they can't figure out how to be close to us, how to stop the repeated behavior pattern either, because it's lying in their unconscious, Mm -hmm. which is why we've got to approach our kids differently so that they feel free to walk in the light like the woman at the well did with Jesus. Yeah. Well, so how do we do that, Jeff? Then how, how do we how do we change our thinking as parents, grandparents, whatever, to be able to you know draw out what they're thinking, what they're feeling, and how to change our our approach to the whole thing? Well, I think when we when we start with the baseline that our kids are going to be imperfect this side of heaven, it helps a lot. Somehow we've gotten into this mindset that says every time our kids make a mistake, we have to come down on them. Mm-hmm. And yet we don't see God doing that with us. And I wouldn't be chasing a God around the lake that came down on me every single time I mm-hmm. messed up in a thought or an action or a deed. We're going to be in perfect side of heaven, and sanctification is a lifelong process. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to be looking at the progress and the encouragement side of the equation. Psychology says we need six to seven positives for every one negative. The Bible says encourage one another onto love and good deeds. It doesn't say convict one another onto love and good deeds. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And so how do we become a parent that says, my kid is going to fail. How do I help them learn? Mm -hmm. How do I use their failures as a discipleship tool one that draws them closer, not one that pushes them away. And when we look at the biblical meaning of discipline, it doesn't mean punishment. When you look at all the, all the different versions in the, in the Greek, none of them mean punishment. They mean training, education, upbringing, mm. um, teaching. So it's all on the proactive, positive side of the equation as opposed to the negative, reactive side of the equation. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to engage in the proactive, positive side of encouragement and drawing our kids close so that they want to listen to us. Because when our kids say, Mom and Dad, I buy you more than I buy my teachers or more than I buy my friends because you treat me better than the world, we've got more influence in the world and we we don't need to fear the world anymore. Yeah, 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 that's that's really good. good. So, Jeff, how would you face this scenario. Let's say you have a boy that's junior high. He never hands in his homework. And the teacher keeps saying, so-and-so never hands in their homework. (laughs) (laughs) And he keeps coming home saying, you say, you got your homework done? Yeah, I got it done. But, you know, it's never getting to the teacher. So how would you handle that with your one rule? Okay. Well, one, you're going to approach it in love. Two, you're going to end up having an education conversation with your kid. I had this conversation with my 10-year-old son, you know, five years ago. I've got a 15-year-old at home still. And and what was funny was I noticed him getting negative about himself for the first time. He's our first positive core value kid 
because he's the first one that was raised with one rule his whole life. Mm-hmm. And and he was getting negative. And what we don't realize as parents is somewhere between the ages of seven and nine for girls and eight and ten for boys, they slip into adolescence uh, 18 months prior to puberty. And shifts happen in the brain where synapses are getting created in the back lobes of the brain and in the front lobes of the brain they it literally has to take electrical activity and shift it from the front lobes to the back lobes to create these synapses well in the front lobes of the brain guess what's there emotional regulation mm-hmm. consequence of eval- consequence evaluation and short-term memory mm. and so what's actually happening with our kids is oftentimes we see it as behavior issues or problems we need to come down on when it's actually the way God designed the brain for them to become uh, oppositional to us so that they would leave home. Because in biblical times, Mary was 13 or 14 when she had Jesus. Hmm. And so I sat down and had this amazing conversation where I explained the adolescent brain to my 10-year-old son, and I've done this with other kids in research sessions and et cetera. And he looked at me and literally goes, you mean this is normal? You mean there's nothing wrong with me? And his tears were rolling down his eyes as he lunged himself across the bed and gave me a giant hug because he was getting so frustrated with these changes in himself. He was getting upset. He had never gotten upset before. He was, you know, forgetting to turn things in. Um, he was getting down on himself. And when he understood that this was part of the adolescent brain and we just needed to develop some strategies for him to think through it and to, and to, put in, you know, reminders, et cetera. You know, we said a reminder, turn in your homework <laughs> and in his phone. And mm-hmm. so the reality is oftentimes what we think are behavior issues are part of that unconscious. They're not aware of the changes happening in the adolescent brain. Mm. And when we educate them, they become more cognizant, more deliberate with it. They now understand they're not getting negative and hiding from it. They're going, oh, this is normal. I need to figure out a strategy to get around it. That's good. That is good. Mm -hmm. So what about the parents, Jeff, that, you know, they're at the point where they're going, well, it's too late. I can't do anything else with these kids. They just won't mind. They won't listen. They won't do anything. Uh, Is it too late? And give them some, some encouragement, if not. You know what? I, I have so many parents. I just had a call from a parent the other day that just read the book, and, you know, they have a 25- and a 28-year-old child, and they're like, wow, there's stuff in this book I can apply to get my relationship mm-hmm. back with my older kids. And what I'm going to say is if you've got a 14-, 15-, 16-year-old who's really struggling, who's on marijuana or heavily addicted to video games or whatever the problem may be, what I've found is that the heart infused with the Holy Spirit never dies. It may be buried under a bunch of expectations, a bunch of failure that we need to help them get out from under Mm -hmm. and stop piling on top of that failure, but lifting them out of that sense of failure through encouragement, through being there, helping them process and learn through their mistakes. But that heart, when parents engage with with the one-rule-home thought process, that love is Jesus' one command to the disciples right before he's arrested in the garden, and we begin to lead with that, the, the heart comes back to life because every kid we talk to in the research wants to please their parents. Mm. Every kid wanted to succeed and mm. feel like they were, mm. they were valuable. You know the ones that were on drugs? 
You want to know why? Hmm. They come to the conclusion they couldn't please their parents and couldn't succeed. That's why they were on drugs. And so when we flip everything on its head, their hearts come back to life way faster than parents ever dreamed possible. Yeah. Makes me think of that verse, Jeff, love never fails. Yeah, well, love in First Corinthians 13, love always hopes, always protects, you know, always trusts. And that's another concept that's killing us with our kids, this whole concept of earned trust. That's why I'd really recommend parents get the One Rule Home book, and wrestle with everything that talking with 3,000 kids forced me to wrestle with as a dad. Mm-hmm. You'll, hear my journey, you'll hear my journey in the book, and you'll hear the hope that uh, parents are seeing changes in their kids. By I talked to one mom. She got to Chapter 10, sat down, started saying, you know, do you feel this way? Do, are the other kids behaving this way? Is this guy right about this? She's like, I don't know who you've been talking to, but they know what they're talking about. She was in the middle of a divorce. Her daughter had a huge anger problem. Within about three months, that mom told me the anger problem was gone. Wow. Well, this is uh, definitely something that's needed today, that's for sure, called the One Rule Home. Destroy the world's influence in your kid's life. Jeff Schott is the uh, author and our guest this morning. Jeff, appreciate your wisdom. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It was great being here.